It's 90s week for us. Well, not the only 90s week, but we're focusing on the 90s this week. Yeah. And, you know, we were both 80s kids, but the 90s is our coming of age time. It's a time where the music and the movies and the TV shows and the fashion and everything was super formative for us. We started to become the people that we would be, you know, it. We started really learning about ourselves, figuring out what our fashion sense is, what our beliefs are, what our beliefs are. Everything started to change at that point. Because as a kid, you, you know, you just kind of go, go along with what you've been brought up believing or enjoying or doing just everything. Every part of you is just kind of molded and shaped by your family. And then when you get to be, you know, a teenager, that's when you start forming your own opinions and you're, you you become exposed to things outside of what you learned growing up. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's different for everybody it uh, is. as far as like how it affects your life and your path and all of that. I, for one, spread my wings for sure as soon as I could. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I <laughs> broke away from from certain aspects uh, that I'd grown up with. Yeah. At that point. But uh, yeah. So since we're talking 90s, I feel like I want to know what fashion trends did you follow in the 90s? Anything that was like (laughs) typical 90s? Well, so I was a a blader. (laughs) A blade. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd I'd definitely have on some big baggy jeans. (laughs) I may or may not have made my own jeans uh, by combining... Uh, oh, did you add like the fabric on the sides? I did, yeah. Yes. To make huge bell bottom <laughs> skater pants. So I had like normal blue jeans. He was a skater boy. <laughs> and then I cut in, I had these black jeans and I also had teal jeans. Teal. So on the side panel, like on the triangular cut in, uh-huh. it was black on one side and teal on the other side. They oh, were my. amazing. And I sewed them, I cut them sewed them and made them myself. Wow, I didn't know. That's another another talent I didn't know that you had. Yeah, I can sew. Wow. Yeah. I have a bag of clothes for you. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, with those jeans would come the typical t-shirt. I generally have a plaid shirt either on or tied around my waist, mm-hmm. I'd say. Mm-hmm. Some type of necklace. <laughs> yep. Very Varying forms of necklaces. <laughs> Uh, At varying lengths. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, I had the sweet butt cut. (laughs) Just cut right down the middle. He had a butt cut when I met him. Yeah. Bleach blonde. I had stripped all the color out of my hair. He wasn't bleach blonde when I met him, though. No, I don't think I had any money at that point. (laughs) And that was like $90 back then every time I got it done. So it was, I would get it done and it would last for three months and then I'd Think about going back and getting it done. I think at that point, I just let it completely grow out and then I'd cut it. Yeah. What about you? At least you know that I didn't want you for your money. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I wasn't after you for your money. (laughs) So I feel like there was quite a while in the late 90s that I kind of had a uniform. Okay. It was (laughs) 
a plaid button-down shirt, usually short sleeves, sometimes long, I guess, depending on the season. I remember you in something like that. Over a tank top. Yeah. With some type of cargo, drawstring, pant, or jean. Drawstring? Yeah, I had a little... Did they have drawstrings for girls? Yeah. I didn't know that. I don't think I ever They were all, like, all of the jeans I wore didn't have drawstrings. Okay. But a lot of the pictures I've seen lately, I noticed a drawstring. Yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, <laughs> uh, it was, you know, probably Old Navy or something. I did the typical preppy American Eagle Gap Old Navy Abercrombie stuff. Really? For a long time. But I really wanted to be Adelia's girl. Like, I wanted to be... A lot cooler than I was, you know, <laughs> like I really I was just obsessed with like the Delia's catalogs and I would occasionally get some stuff from there, but it was kind of pricey. And yeah. then ordering having to order it from a catalog because that was before you could order it online. Oh, that's right. Or yeah. at least that I knew. Well, when I was in high school, because I don't think that I actually experienced the whole getting online thing until my senior year of high school. Like getting online at all? Yes. Oh, wow. Like, I was getting online in 92 is when I first Got online. I got on like well, I mean, what, bulletin boards and stuff like that. Oh, no, BDS I didn't do that. I mean, all I did on the computer before then was like play games like oh, Oregon okay. Trail and, you know. I played some Oregon Carmen Trail. Carmen San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I just remember, I'm sure many of you have seen Pen 15 and when they have that whole scene where they're on AIM for the first time. That was very relatable, except I'm older than them, than they were in that scene. So they yeah. were, I think it was like 2000s for them. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, so this was only like three years earlier than that. Yeah. Two or three years earlier where I first started getting on there. It was probably like late 97. Yeah, because yeah. you and I were talking on there. Yeah, and I don't think I've been on there. the 98, I think. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of when I first got that. I remember taking like an AOL CD from yeah. where where I work. I still I didn't have one steal of those. It. it. Like it was just that they would come with the compact computer. Oh no no, those were gateways. They had gateway computers. Yes, I had a gateway computer. Right, and it that would was come my, with it. That was in my dorm room. So they had hundreds of these computers on campus mm -hmm. for the teachers and stuff like that. Uh, so they had all these packs of. Uh, instructions and then AOL CDs and the AOL CDs would come with like free minutes. Yes. So I would, anytime I needed more minutes, I would just get another pack and add it to my account. <laughs> That's so very you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you wanted to order something from Delia's, like you had to get on the phone and call and I would have to get, you know, my parents permission to do it because I would have, I didn't have my own money at the <laughs> time. So I didn't get a lot from Delia's. I know that I had some shoes. I put those up on Instagram a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And I think I had a few shirts and stuff from there. But I feel like from a style standpoint, I, I would have had a, a much different style if I'd had a little bit more money at that point. You know, I just I went through a section of my life at that point where I was in and out of my parents home. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, you know, I, I worked, but I had to use that money for other things. Right. So my style was like the T-shirts that I would get from the pizza place that I worked at. Yeah. You know, and then some Aww. jeans that I had, you know, and then that kind of extended into college just because I would use my money for other stuff and right. I wouldn't buy a ton of clothes. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, though, I did experiment with the style that I actually wanted to have. I occasionally wore a choker or had my hair up in, 
you know, the butterfly clips or yeah. space buns or, you know, and I'd wear like a little tank top with the spaghetti straps and right. the shoes that I mentioned were those massive like platform shoes with the bump toe. Yeah. A lot of people refer to those as like Herman Munster shoes. <laughs> <laughs> those were so in style at the time. I can't remember what I would do from a shoe standpoint. So, I mean, you know me. Yeah. I don't pay attention to my shoes that much. <laughs> <laughs> I pay attention to them for you. Yeah. So I, I can't, I can't remember what I'd be wearing from a shoe standpoint. I would guess, you know, like the Did flat you have, like, Adidas. Vans or? I didn't know. I never had Vans, which would have made sense. But uh, I think I had like, you know, like the flat Adidas. I had, a, I had Adidas too. Okay. The, were they called Gazelles? They might have been, or the Copas. They might have been the Gazelle. Yeah. That's. They're all probably similar and stuff. And I wore Converse, of course. Oh, okay. I can't remember what else I'd have. To school. You know, I wasn't going to wear the Herman Munster shoes to school. No? No. Oh, why? I think mainly because I was already kind of tall. Oh. I mean, like 5'7 for yeah. a girl. But then I just, I didn't want to tower over everybody. Plus, yeah. they're like clod hoppers. <laughs> like, you don't want to walk around the tile floors of school in those things. Yeah. Some people did, but that just wasn't my... Yeah, I can't. I can't I remember comfort. <laughs> anything cool that I would have had from a shoe standpoint. And then I would wear like I can't think of the name of the flip flops, rainbows, and like Tevas. Mm. Oh, like flip flops, like, like Teva. Teva flip flops. Oh, is it Teva? Oh, that's how I've always heard it pronounced. But it, maybe it's Teva, and I've got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I always wanted were Birkenstocks. Yeah, those are just so expensive. Even back then, they were expensive. I feel yeah. like they were over a hundred dollars back then. Yeah, I never had any. I definitely was not as cool as like Liv Tyler and Renee Zellweger in <laughs> Empire Records. Nice segue. Which is the first movie that we're going to talk about. What's with you? What's with you today? What's with today today? Empire Records came out in 1995. Great year. So the year I graduated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was directed by Alan Moyle. It's starring Anthony LaPaglia, I think is how you say it. Yeah, you got it right. As Joe Reeves, Roy Cochran as Lucas, Ethan Randall, who's actually Ethan Embry, but yeah. at the time he didn't have the stage name of Ethan Embry yeah. uh, as Mark, Johnny Wentworth as AJ, Robin Tunney <laughs> as Deborah. And I just have to say that for my entire life of knowing yeah. her as an actress, I've always pronounced it in my head Robin Tooney. Even though you like you said Tunny, well, yeah. we, I think when we were watching the craft, craft right, in yeah. October, and I was like Tunny, <laughs> it's not Tunny, <laughs> and then I really paid attention to how it was spelled and the two ends, and I was like, mm, it's probably Tunny, but it'll always be Tooney in my mind. I don't think I've ever heard it called Tooney by anyone other than you. <laughs> <laughs> You're on an island. <laughs> oh, I typically am. It's beautiful here. Did I say that she played Deborah? Yes, she played Deborah. Deborah. Renee Zellweger as Gina, Liv Tyler as Corey, Coyote Shivers, that's a name. Yeah, that is. Or sh wait, Shivers. Shivers. There I go again. <laughs> I mean, it's... Coming up with my own pronunciation. Isn't that how you spell Shivers, though, too? Or is it oh, like Oh, yeah, two... it is. So it could be. Yeah. Could be that. As Burko. Brendan Sexton as Warren. <laughs> Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. And uh, Maxwell Caulfield as Rex Manning. Some of you may know him from Greece too. And... Uh, Debbie Mazar as Jane. I feel like I've seen her in a ton of stuff. You have. She's in a lot of stuff. Okay. She looked very familiar. Well, you're probably thinking of Entourage. That's right. She's been in a lot of stuff. So Empire Records, it's about a unique record store that has this quirky group of employees. The store has 
its own style. It's not like the typical corporate record stores like Music Town that's in this movie. Yeah. So they find out that they're under threat of being sold to Music Town, which is like the worst thing that could happen to all of them. Yeah. To their patrons as well. Yeah. You know. And so we just follow the employees throughout the day. We see all the fun parts of being in the record store. They're listening to their the music that they love. They're also dealing with their own personal stuff. Mm-hmm. And crazy stuff happens. It's Rex Manning Day, which is this washed up 80s music star that's coming for a signing. Who's the guy? Me. Who's the guy that does Simply Irresistible? Simply Irresistible. Yeah. It's uh who is that? It's- I see the video in my yeah. head. The video that's for who it reminds that me of. definitely is Robert Palmer. Ro- yeah, Robert Palmer. That's who he evokes in my mind is Robert. Palmer. Yeah, well, and if you think of the video for "Say No More, Moan No More," yeah. the girls in it they're very much similar to the girls in yes Robert Palmer's video. So, but a lot of crazy stuff. They catch a shoplifter. They end up having this huge party slash concert to save the day. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Ultimately, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is one that you croon about all the time. So I was happy to actually get to watch it with you. It, I've seen it before. Yeah. I, I think I saw it back in the day. And mm-hmm. I don't know that I've seen it since then. So it's fun to watch it back with you. There's just so much, so much I love about it. But also, it has such a great soundtrack, too. Yeah. And when I hear all the songs in the movie, it just brings up all these feelings of being an angsty teenager. Yeah. I love it. Definitely watching it back brought back feelings of being that age at yeah. that time. It was a it's a great shot of what it looked like at the very least and what it sounded like back when we were that age. Right. And I feel like there was a good representation of different kinds of kids, yeah. you know, that you would know in your high school or whatever, because no two people are the same. Exactly. <laughs> so some fun facts about the movie. I'm probably gonna butcher this name, but Carol Heikinen, she's a producer in the movie. She based the film on her time working at Tower Records in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Um, sadly, though, like 10 years or so later, that was when Tower Records went into bankruptcy. Gotcha. We, we didn't have one. We had, I can't remember the name of the music store in Brockport where I grew up, but it, it was a quirky little music store. That's fun. It wasn't huge like that. It was probably a 20 foot long by 12 foot wide store. Mm-hmm. So it had like the center uh, section that was two-sided with records or tapes as well. Yeah. And then it had the outer part as well. So it was really just like two aisles that went back about 20, 25 feet. Yeah. I mostly just went to record stores that were in the mall. Mm-hmm. So they were just kind of, you know, small. I, I feel like I didn't go to a big one until I lived in Orlando with like the Virgin Megastore and stuff oh, like that. Oh, yeah. I haven't gone to a lot of those. No? I mean, I've gone to the ones in the mall. I don't remember what they were called at this point. It's been a long time, but... They turned that one into a bowling alley. Oh. Like a two-story bowling alley. Oh, really? Well, it's probably fun now. Yeah. <laughs> but it just it makes sad. me sad. It is sad. <laughs> Another interesting thing. Two days after an executive for Regency Enterprises, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Nathanson, he gave the go-ahead to make Empire Records. He was then approached with the script for Clueless. <laughs> <laughs> and he turned it down because it was kind of similar in that it was geared towards teenagers. Yeah. And <laughs> Clueless went on to make like $57 million in the box office and Empire Records bombed. Yeah, Empire Records bombed in the theaters, got yeah. panned by critics, but got a huge cult following yes. after the fact. Yes, for sure. But, you know, I'm sure he's kicking himself for not <laughs> yeah. taking both Whoops. of them on. <laughs> 
Another thing that I just learned was that the film actually had three other significant characters. Oh, really? And they were cut out. And also, when there was like 40 minutes of film that was edited out in post-production, and then the movie was also supposed to take place over two days, Uh, and they shaved it down to one. Really? Yeah. So, I really would love to know who those characters were, like what type of person were they? Yeah. And who were the actors? And what did we lose out of that movie? Yeah. I want to know what else went on. Yep. Because a lot went on just in the what we had. Something else that I didn't know. I didn't know that it was filmed in Wilmington, North Carolina. Yeah, you got so, really excited when you saw that. <sighs> yeah, because I've watched this movie forever. But do you know how many times I've been to Wilmington? I don't, but you told me a lot. <laughs> a lot. Well, a lot of shows and movies have been filmed in, in Wilmington. But most importantly for me, Dawson's Creek. Okay. okay. And I initially went to Wilmington with a friend of mine to scope out filming locations of Dawson's Creek. Were they still filming at that no. point or was over? It was over. I just wanted to see the site. Yeah, of because the most of it was, you know, it was all still there. Yeah. So I'd always wanted to go, but just I think that was in like, I was in my early 20s and that's when I was just being adventurous and going on trips and stuff. So that was you, yes. Uh, so we went there and I fell in love with it. But I'm sure I was probably right in front of the building that was right Empire it. Records. Yeah. And supposedly, you know, there's a mural in the movie of Gloria Stefan. There's a couple others, but they really focus on the Gloria one because, like, yes. Ethan Embry's character is, like, kissing her and stuff. But supposedly that mural was up for years after. Granted, it still would have been gone by the time I was there. But When did you go? I think it was, like, 2005 or something. It might have still been That's, up. like, the first time that I went. Yeah, but this was filmed in 95, so it's 10 years. I don't think yeah. it was up for 10 years. They probably well, covered it. Seen... They probably covered it up for Dawson's Creek. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we talked about the Rex Manning music video. Apparently, it was only supposed to be like a 17 second snippet yeah. that they were just going to kind of show so that the employees could make fun of it before he came in for Rex Manning Day. Right. Um, but they ended up shooting a full they did like, the whole four thing? minute <laughs> music video. That was probably a lot of fun. Yeah, and that was also that was on Wrightsville Beach. Right there in Wilmington. Oh, okay. And that's all like an hour from your sister. Oh, is it really? It's that yeah, close? where they live now. It's oh, like I didn't I'm know pretty that. sure they're they're like an hour. We'll have to out. go check it out. Yes, we will. So, favorite parts of the movie. I'm going to go first. Is that cool? I guess. My favorite parts. <laughs> I love in the very beginning when Lucas grabs the nine grand that he's supposed to be putting in the safe, or he's supposed to close. And when you close, you put the money in the safe. You do your thing. Right. He's like, hmm. He sees this info that they're going to get sold to Music Town. Yeah. And then decides to take a trip with that nine grand to Atlantic City. He's going to save the day. Yeah. And he actually goes in super lucky. Like, he's walking by a lady on a slot machine. He pulls it for her. She hits. He's walking by the uh, roulette wheel, calls the, there's like black 22, and that's what hits. And he actually goes to the craps table, plops it down, rolls a seven. Got $18,000, but then decides to go again. Yeah. And of course, uh, hits snake eyes, lose your money. And he's essentially just stole nine grand, which is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But I, I really like that part. It was, it's a good opening to the Yeah, movie. it's fun. And it, it's kind of this thing where you don't really know what the movie's going to be about. Yeah. Because that's a totally different vibe from the rest of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. You know? it, it, it is. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess along the theft uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're really the digging the theft. Yeah. Uh, Warren, we're introduced to the character of Warren 
by seeing him going through the CDs and he'll grab one and he's got this giant magnet where he'll demagnetize the sensor that'll go off when you go through the doors. Uh And then that leads to this big chase scene where Lucas sees what he's doing, goes and confronts him. Uh, It's kind of funny. That's a really fun scene. It is very fun. Uh, And they chase him. He chases him through the town and ends up catching him and all that. Uh, And then the final scene or, or one of the final scenes is when they're having that big party slash benefit and Renee Zellweger is up there with a couple of the other employees and they're putting on like a concert. Mm-hmm. They're singing this song called Sugar High. And she, I just kept saying she doesn't know what to do with her hands <laughs> because she's like doing like this hand dance, but like crushing it too. Like she's actually a pretty good singer. She's yeah. having a good time. Spoiler alert. That's one of my favorite moments too. So oh, is you'll it? hear about it in a minute. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's okay. But yeah, I think that because she was so nervous, her character, you know, like that was her dream to sing live yeah. and she was finally doing it. And she like just was so excited. She didn't know what to do with her hands. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. (laughs) Okay, so number one for me, I just love when they open the store in the morning and they pick who chooses the music for that day. What I think happens is that the person who was it the day before hands, you know, everybody an M&M and then goes and stands in front of them and holds up a color. And if whoever has that color is the person that gets to choose the music for that day. Yeah, it's a good system. I like that. I like it too. And so... For this day, Mark is the person that gets to choose the music. And he loves, like, guar and, like... <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten <laughs> <And> about guar. <laughs> <laughs> How do you even... Like, what's that genre? Yeah, guar is just metal, except yeah. it's, like, costumed metal. Right. Because, I mean, those dudes wore oh, some yeah. big old costumes and masks and all that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> that, that makes me... This isn't a favorite part, but just the scene where he eats... The magic brownies, and he's watching a Guar video, and then all of a sudden... The big, like, flower eats him. Yeah, he sees himself on stage. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Of course, it wasn't just Guar that he was playing, but that, obviously, they're featured in the movie, so... But what I love is that then everyone gets one veto for the day. And so he plays something that's very, for most people, I think would be pretty difficult to listen to so early in the morning. Yes. And so someone goes and vetoes it pretty quickly. And so, and and they go back to that several times throughout the day where different people will veto whatever music he has playing. Mm -hmm. I think that's just fun to see just to kind of like a glimpse into what it's like every day. Yep. And really the first song he plays though is a, is a super fun song. Seems I never get enough of it. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, we'll say it. Whatever that. What, what song is that? I feel uh, like I need to get out. Um, oh, what's the name of that app? <laughs> Shazam. I, I need to Shazam you. <laughs> it's by the Dirt Clods. C L O D S. Okay. And I love that song. That's really not. I don't think that's. No, somebody does veto that one. I think all his songs get vetoed. Yeah, but I I love that song. And everybody's just like dancing around and singing along while they're cleaning up and getting the register ready to go. And it's a good like montage. I love 90s montage (laughs) changed a little bit. So then, of course, just everything around Rex Manning Day. Oh, we mustn't dwell. No, No, not today. We can't. Not on Rex Manning Day. I heard you on the back in 52. Oh, Rexy, you're so sexy. Oh, Rexy, you're so <laughs> sexy. <laughs> you know, obviously we talked about the video and they're all making fun of it. Aside from Corey, played by Liv Tyler, who is in love with him. Yes. She had a childhood crush on him because he was on a TV show. And, you know, now she's an adult and she gets to meet him. 
And she's and very she excited. Is very excited. She yes. has lots of plans for meeting Rex Manning. She does. And much like my Jordan Knight story, things don't go according to plan. They don't go according to her plan set. It's very true. No, I didn't throw myself at Jordan Knight. But That's true. still, she gets a lot more disappointed than I did. But I was like, man, I should have saved my Jordan Knight story for this <laughs> when we watched it. But it's just funny because he's just such a... Obviously, like, he's, he stands out because he's actually, like, the clothes he's wearing looks like he's in the 70s. Yeah, he's got, like, a, a shiny satin shirt. With like a, a suit. suit. Yeah. And his hair looks very 70s with the yeah. big chops. I mean, he's like and... Oompa Loompa colored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's ama- amazingly tanned. Yes. <laughs> and he's like obviously been, you know, he's extremely high maintenance. He, yeah. he goes up to do the autograph signing and he doesn't want to sit in the chair. He's and like, he's I don't like, like that chair. He's saying to so like his assistant played by Debbie Mazar, I don't like chair. I don't want to sit in that chair. She's like, just sit in the chair, Rex. (laughs) And he's like, no. And so then, you know, like Joe runs up and switches out the chair. But then also the fact that like his fan base that is there to see him are not who he he would imagine that they would be like, it's, it's like, I think there's a couple of gay guys. There's, you know, a lot of older women. Like an 80 year old grandmother. Yeah. And then he finally sees like a younger girl and he's like, oh, what's your name? And she tells him. And he's like, that's a beautiful name. And she's like, it's not mine. It's my mom's. She loves you. I don't even know who you are. <laughs> I don't even know who you are. <laughs> it's just so funny because you know that happens sometimes. Yeah. He's like a, somebody that was a huge pop star in the mid 80s. Mm-hmm. And then nobody cares anymore in the mid 90s. Right. And then, of course, there's this part at the end of the movie where they're all up on the roof and they're singing <laughs> this song called Sugar High. What? I don't even, I don't even remember that part. <laughs> but... Also, you know, that part is so fun. And I love that everybody's cheering her on, like, especially after the day that they've been through. Yes. And you even have Deborah there who hated her earlier in the day. Mm -hmm. And now there's so much has happened that now she has like a respect for her. And then they all go up on the roof at the end and they're all dancing. And the gym blossoms till I hear it from you is playing. Every time I hear that song, I just think of this movie. And so it just always makes me feel happy. That was a good little scene at the end. Yeah. A nice feel to it. They're all up there. Yeah. Having a good old time. (sighs) I miss record stores. I do too. I miss flipping through things. We have something similar to that that I haven't been to in a long time. It's the the last like record store that Mm -hmm. I went to. It's called McKay's in Chattanooga. It's like all used stuff. It's all used stuff. Books there too. Books. uh, I think. You know, albums. When I was going there, I was going there for CDs mm-hmm. on the cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's where I got like my Alice in Chains CD, probably where I got my Tupac CD. You know, I got that all from McKay's. But that's like the last real record store or something that I would classify as a... I don't know that we haven't been there in 20 years. It's true. Who knows what it's turned into now. I'm thinking of when I went there in the 90s. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what it's like now. I just miss that whole experience of going in. I remember, I well, I talked about this. I think it was our, um, oh, it was the Bill and Ted's yeah. Excellent Adventure episode because they have their whole like mall montage. So we talk a little bit about going to the mall and being at the record store and how I would go and pick out a cassette single every time. This was in like middle school, though. Later on, obviously, it was CDs. I gotcha. <laughs> we just came across one of your cassette singles, didn't we? In the attic? Yes. Which yeah. one was it? I think that was actually New Kids. Yeah, I couldn't remember sure. if it was NSYNC or New Kids. No, I never had NSYNC tapes. Uh, that was all CDs. But I, gotcha. but I have boxes full of my cassette singles and my normal cassettes and everything. So I need to find it. 
so I can show you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it'll be a very interesting and a wide range collection because I just liked all kinds of music. But yeah, I just missed that. Well, you and I talk about this all the time. You know, it's wonderful that everything is digitized now, but it's sad because kids today do not get that experience unless they're buying vinyls and, you know, all that stuff's coming back now. So they probably do get to experience it some. But for us, we didn't have another option. And so getting a new cassette or a CD, just the whole experience of looking through the album artwork and... They'd have the lyrics on, like, I'm thinking of, like, the tapes. I would read the freaking thank yous. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, yeah, there was quite a few tapes that I had where uh-huh. I knew all the lyrics to all the songs. Yes. And then I did. I knew everybody that they would thank uh-huh. on there. I loved the artwork. It was like a piece of art that came with another piece of art. You know, right. music is art. But like the artwork of uh, the CD covers, all that kind of it stuff. It was a part of covers. the experience because yeah. for me, I would be just like sitting in my bedroom floor, listening to it for the first time with it open, reading along the, the lyrics as I... That's how I learned the music. Instead of just listening to it, I would be reading the lyrics while I listened to it for the first time. Now, you say that kids today mm-hmm. don't have that same experience. I would say for a good portion of time, in the 2000s. That's true. But vinyls this past year outsold CDs for the very first time. Our niece, for the past two years, we've gotten her two or three vinyls. Yeah. And she's got a good little collection now. Yeah. So she understands, like she wants to open it up and see what it looks like and she gets the excitement of it. Yeah, absolutely. But if you haven't watched Empire Records, I highly recommend it. I think it is a good little glimpse into what it was like to be a teenager in the 90s. It is, yeah. I'd agree with that. Yay! Yay! That does it for Empire? finally got to do it. Yes. I've been wanting to do it since (laughs) day dot, as they would say, (laughs) in the UK. So next up, we have one of my favorite 90s movies. That's right. It is the 1996 cinematic classic, Happy Gilmore. (laughs) (laughs) Son of a bitch, Paul. Why didn't you just go home? That's your home! Are you too good for your home? Answer me! I love this movie. So this was directed by Dennis Duggan or Dennis Dugan. I don't know which one it is. <laughs> it was Dugan in my head, so it's probably Duggan. I think of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh. So I say Dennis Duggan now. I've changed. Let me present this to you. Yes. Is it Dennis Dugan? No, <laughs> it is not. <laughs> it's anything but that. We're going with Duggan, like Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Who's that? That's a wrestler that was mine and my sister's favorite wrestler from the 80s. He was just like a, a dude who would come in with a Hacksaw. two by four and he would go, oh, like, he, I mean, it was he's I mean, it was the worst shtick, but <laughs> <laughs> me and my sister love that dude. Such a fun word. Yeah. Shtick. Shtick. The screenplay written by Adam Sandler uh, and Tim. I'm going to I'm going to butcher this one. Harley he. <laughs> Herlihi. Yeah, I, I read it Herlihi. <laughs> Herlihi. <laughs> and they, they had actually written Billy Madison together and worked on a, a ton of movies later. Yeah, I read the list of like stuff they did later on. I think that Tim was a writer on SNL. Okay. That makes sense. he was a part of many future Adam Sandler movies yeah. also. So this, of course, has Adam Sandler as Happy Gilmore. You have Christopher McDonald as the classic villain, Shooter McGavin. <gasps> I just realized... That the two movies that we did have two people from Grease 2. Who else is in Grease 2? Christopher McDonald. Oh, is he? What is he in Grease 2? Is he the bad guy? 
No, he was one of the T-Birds. Oh, okay. I, I, know, I haven't watched Grease or Grease 2. He's Goose. Goose. And then, of course, Maxwell Caulfield, Rex Manning, was Michael in Grease 2. Wow. So you know what that means. Next, we have to cover Grease 2. Oh, uh, yay. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Don't worry, girls. I'm going to get it in there sometime. <laughs> Next up, Julie Bowen, who plays Virginia Bennett. And what I found out by doing our research is that it's not Virginia Bennett. It's Virginia Bennett with a V. I always thought it was Virginia Bennett with a B. Your whole life. My whole life. (laughs) Your whole life since 1996. Yeah. Francis Bay played uh, Grandma Gilmore. The best. Carl Weathers was Chubbs Peterson. Uh, who actually, he reprises that role in Little Nicky. Yeah, did you know that before you saw that in the research? I've seen Little Nicky, but I don't remember Carl Weathers being in there, but I I probably just forgot. Can I give a funny story real quick? Yeah, absolutely. When we were watching Happy Gilmore, I admit, I have seen Happy Gilmore, but probably when it first came out, and then it's not one that I've repeated. So I didn't remember a lot. But they're at the driving range, and Pete sees Chubbs for the first time. And Chubbs is standing there with a lady who is swinging or, you know, who's hitting the ball. She's there for a golf lesson with with Chubbs. And so when Pete goes, Chubbs, I just sat there and waited because I was like, please let that be the guy in the back that he's talking about. And I waited and waited. And then finally he came up and he was like, I'm Chubbs Peterson or whatever. And I was like, oh, my God, because I thought he was calling the girl Chubbs. I was like, I would never do that. I was like, that is not my husband, he does not talk about people no. that way. But for a second, that's what I thought you were calling her. I, I love you're like, just sitting there stewing on it like, uh, you oh, <laughs> You best not have done that. <laughs> I was like, we are nice people. We do oh, not talk about people that way. That's funny. <laughs> okay, go ahead. You got Alan Covert as Otto, who actually is in quite a few yes. Sandler films. Kevin Nealon as Gary Potter. You have the director, Dennis Dugan, Duggan, whichever it is. Dugan. As Doug, as Dugan, <laughs> as Doug Thompson. Uh, Who's he in the movie? He's the head of the PGA Tour. Oh, okay. You got Richard Keel as Mr. Larson. Uh, pro golfer Lee Trevino as himself. Bob Barker as himself. <laughs> And uncredited in the movie is Ben Stiller. It's so funny that he's uncredited. Yeah, it's because he has a, a really noticeable role. Yeah, and everybody knows Ben Stiller. And yeah. People knew him then. So he plays Hal L, uh, an orderly in the nursing home. What an awful name. Yes. Hal L. So, I mean, this is a movie about a hockey player with anger issues, which his anger issues stem from his mother leaving him and his father's untimely death. He's not great at hockey, aside from having a really good slap shot. He can't skate, which is funny as a hockey player. He went to live with his grandmother after his father died. And we come into the story when he finds out that she hasn't been paying her taxes. She owes like 270K in back taxes. So the IRS shows up repossesses her house, all of the stuff in her house, and they're going to lose it all unless they can come up with the money for it in 90 days. So Happy gets discovered by Chubbs, as we previously mentioned, at a driving range where, well, 
Happy first finds out he can hit a golf ball really hard when some people are cleaning stuff out of his grandmother's house and he hits it like a slap shot. And I mean, absolutely crushes it like 400 yards, which is an amazing drive. And Uh, they're like betting that he can't do it and he does it again. He does it like three times and hits, you know, his neighbors in the head with a golf ball or uh, not even his neighbors. He hits people in a house 400 yards away. (laughs) In a different neighborhood. (laughs) In a different neighborhood. That's like four football fields away. Yeah. But Chubb sees him hitting the ball like that. And starts to to work with him, tells him, hey, you can be something in golf with a drive like that. Let me help you out. And Happy's like, no, I got to make money. So I'm just going to go on to the pro tour. So on the tour, Happy's not very good at golf other than hitting the ball really hard, which is part of golf. Yeah, you, it's not the whole part. <laughs> yeah, right. As my dad says, you hit for show and you putt for dough. <laughs> I like that. That should have been a quote in the movie. Yeah, it should have been. Your dad should have been a writer with Doug Dugan. Hacksaw Jim Duggan there. (laughs) But he becomes very popular on the tour because he brings excitement to the game. The ratings go up. He becomes sponsored by Subway during the movie, which is pretty funny. His biggest competition on the tour is Shooter McGavin. He's like the it guy in golf at that time. And he's a (laughs) D-hay. A great... Funny, hilarious DA. To say the least. Yeah. Happy forms a romantic relationship with Virginia, mm-hmm. who's the like press director of the tour or PR or whatever it is, PR relations person for the tour. In the end, Happy wins the uh, tour, the TPC, the Tour Players Championship. Uh-huh. He wins the money, can save his grandmother's house and her stuff, gets the girl and beats Shooter. It's a fun movie for me. I haven't rewatched a movie that I've laughed at quite so much in a while. Yeah. Because I've seen Happy Gilmore a lot. And it was one like in the 90s. This isn't something that people do anymore. So me and my college roommate, who's also, you know, like one of my best friends, he was one of my best men in the wedding and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Childhood We've, best friend. Childhood best friend. We've known each other Forever. since, yeah, for a very long time. <laughs> we would go and download sound clips from the movie and assign those to like different actions inside of Windows 94. Five, whatever it was. It might have been Windows 3.1 at that point. I can't remember, but it's like, oh, when you open up this program, it's like, oh, Happy learned how to putt or somebody learned how to putt, you know, whatever. I forget what the sound clip is, but we'd have sound clips all over our computers from this movie and like Billy Madison and stuff like that. That's so, so funny. It's pretty crazy. He lit up, I will say, when we were watching this movie. I had a good time. I looked over at him and he just had this giant smile on his face the whole time. So I found out Happy Gilmore the character is loosely based on one of Adam Sandler's childhood friends, Kyle, who played hockey and would play golf with Adam. Uh-huh. Adam could never hit the ball as far as Kyle and figured that uh, his hockey skills gave him an edge. And that's where yeah, this all that, came from. That's funny. That makes sense. So the director became attached to it through Adam Sandler. So I guess years earlier, he had attempted to cast him in another film, but the producers didn't want him on there because he wasn't big enough. Yeah. So uh, they ended up working together on this one. I read that he, when they were trying to decide who would direct, Adam kind of remembered him and he was like, weren't you that guy that tried to cast me in that movie? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, I don't need to know anymore. You're it. You're it. So he remembered that. And I love that because even though, you know, the rest of them didn't give Adam a chance, he remembered that that guy was betting on him. Yeah. And I love that. That's cool. Yeah. Now, Christopher McDonald had actually declined the role of Shooter McGavin (laughs) a couple times. Yeah. Because he was tired of playing bad guys and he wanted to relax and spend more time with his family. But I guess he went and played some golf and played in a tournament and won. And that piqued his interest. So he met with Sandler and kind of talked through the role and got interested in it. 
Uh, yeah. and, and that it wouldn't be just like a normal bad guy. Right. You know, and, and they gave him a lot of freedom to ad lib and be creative with the role. And it was his acting talents show through because he's really funny as the bad guy. of the Yeah, movie. he's he's a unique, a unique baddie. Yeah. And I guess the director didn't want to see bad guy 101 again. And right. that's where the, that's where, he, you know, he just kind of let him loose and said, you know, have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Kevin Costner was approached to play the role, but turned it down because he wanted to be in Tin Cup, which uh, is another, you know, that's a good choice. That was yeah, a good movie. Yeah. But it's funny because I can't imagine Kevin Costner in a bad guy role. No. I mean, he does Maybe, it now. I, he's probably. He got, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm just saying he may have been in some bad guy roles, but just not in any Kevin Costner movie I've seen. Not back then, for sure, too. Like, he was a good guy back then. Yeah. He, but he was a leading right, man. Leading man. Now, I think Bruce Campbell lobbied pretty hard for the part of Shooter McGavin as well, which could have been funny, but I'm really glad. Who's Bruce Campbell? Um, Like Army of Darkness. He's he's a funny guy. Yeah. So I, I feel like he could have brought a different feel to it. I'm glad they went the way that they did. Right. Now, Richard Keel, who plays Happy's like original boss in it, uh-huh. is actually from the James Bond series. He played Jaws, that really tall guy yeah. uh, in James Bond. Vern Lundquist, the announcer, I mean, he'd, he'd do college football uh-huh. and stuff like that. He's in this. All his scenes were filmed in an abandoned hospital. They're all filmed in, in one day. <laughs> and they, they got through and just filmed it all, all at once. And all of Lundquist's scenes were shot with Adam Sandler's college roommate, Jack Giraputo, um, who really doesn't say much or maybe he doesn't say anything. I feel like he says a few things, but Sandler wanted him to be in the movie. So that, that's that nice. was fun. And Lundquist said he still gets a monthly $34 check from the Screen Actors Guild for his appearance in the <laughs> film. Now, Happy's style of hitting the ball is unique. You know, he'll like run up to the ball and swing the club. It's not how you do it. It's funny. There was a PGA golfer, a German golfer, Martin Kamer tried. They usually have like a yearly long drive contest. Mm -hmm. So he, on his second shot, gave the happy Gilmore swing a try. He actually hit it pretty well, but you have to hit it into the fairway for it to count. And it was just off the fairway and they didn't (laughs) allow it to count. So it was pretty funny to see him do it. And you had asked about this. Yes. The putter that Happy uses towards the end of the film is a hockey stick. Right. And reportedly, the NHL shop will sell you a hockey stick style putter. Okay, so it's legal. In the NHL shop. I guess it's legal. It's legal. Yeah. And we mentioned that Bob Barker was in the film. Uh, Bob was on the fence about doing the movie, but then he heard that he'd be able to do his own stunts and that he was going to win the fight with Happy. And then he was in. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a fun scene. And that fight won the first MTV movie award for best fight. I feel like I remember that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a funny fight. It was. And it was so kind of just bizarre to see Bob Barker doing that, (laughs) especially playing himself, (laughs) you know, but it was fun. Okay, so what are your favorite moments from this movie? All right, I'm going with one of the first scenes in the movie where we see Happy is in his apartment and his girlfriend. Was she leaving when he showed up? She was. As he was coming home. She was leaving him because he he didn't make the team. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't make the team. (laughs) And she's just like, you're a loser, bye. And she starts to leave and he comes over the intercom and she's walking out the door of the building and he's, you know, talking to her all sexy-like. And then he's like... He starts singing, I want to kiss you all over. Over and again. 
<laughs> and what I love about it is that <laughs> I love that he just keeps going on and on and on. And then eventually it cuts to like a little boy and then this other lady and somebody else. And like, it's just all his neighbors. The girlfriend's long gone. Yeah. And the one lady that is there listening and like shows up at his door. And then you see that she's there the next morning. It's pretty funny. And they start playing the actual song. It's like, to the night. Yes. <laughs> And the scene that you talked about, but when we first see him hitting the ball in the front yard of his grandma's house and the movers are betting him that he wouldn't be able to hit that. Well, first he just hits it and then they bet him that he can't do it again. Yeah. Beginner's luck. Yeah. And so then he does it again and the neighbor has come out because he broke the window of the house. Yeah. He can't tell where it came from. Again, not his neighbor in another neighborhood probably because it's so far away. And he hits him in the head. And then they're like, oh, you know. Double or nothing. Double or nothing. And then... it again and this time the wife is looking out the window in the top floor and gets hit in the head and falls falls out of the house. (laughs) It's just so ridiculous but it's so funny. It is. And then you know me with the romance. I love when he takes Virginia on their non-date And he takes her to the hockey rink and all of a sudden, like the lights go out and it's the fun, you know, lights that would be at a skating rink kind of thing. And Endless Love is playing in the background. Friends listen to Endless Love in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a fun scene. And like how he bets her that if she doesn't make it, then she has to give him a big kiss and she does make it. Yeah, she she makes like a half court or a half rink shot. (laughs) Right. And then she gives him a kiss anyway. Yeah, those are good. I bet it it was hard for you to narrow down. was difficult to narrow down, but I love, I I did a a bit of a cheat on this first one. All of like shooters, finger guns. They all crack me up. (laughs) You laughed every single time he did it. Just every time he does it, I love it. It's like, shooter, yeah, shooter. And then he's like, one of them, he like rolls it up and puts it in the holster. And then he's like, yeah. It just just always cracks me up. I wish you guys could see him doing this. Oh my God. (laughs) And then I, I also love the part where Shooter's leaving and he's like, listen to what I, he like accidentally rhymes with himself. Yes. And then uh, Happy like copies him and makes fun of him. He's like, I can lay by the bay, make things out of clay. I, I just may. What do you say? You know, like that part really, yeah. really makes me laugh. I, I like that part <laughs> a lot. The third one is when, when Happy's trying to putt on that first hole when he's, He's entered in that original tournament to yeah. make the PGA Tour. Yes. And that guy's like talking smack. Like, <laughs> oh, it's terrible, terrible. And he finally makes it after like six putts. And the guy's like, yeah, finally. And he's like, yeah, yeah. he comes up there. And he, I mean, he just beats the crap out of him. Hockey style, like pulls his shirt <laughs> over his head, punches him in the face. It just every time I see that, it makes me laugh. I just love it. Oh, but, yeah. man. Well, does that uh, bring our happy Gilmore goodness to a close? Only if you are ready for it to be close. I guess so. But I, I'm just going to go and rewatch it again and enjoy it. And hopefully everybody enjoyed our, our little breakdown of it. I had a lot of fun watching it, actually. I, I wasn't sure if I was going to enjoy it so much. Just because, I mean, I do enjoy Adam Sandler, but... Because I didn't remember so much how the movie went. Yeah. Like, I, I prefer, like, goofy, lovable Adam Sandler, which we we got to see a little bit of it in this. Yeah, he was in that. Yeah. To me, I loved Adam Sandler back then. I loved Saturday Night Live, Adam Sandler. Yeah. Billy Madison, to me, was pretty funny. This was really funny. I'm more of, like, wedding singer, 50 yeah. first dates Adam I gotcha. Sandler. I gotcha. But, which There's- is not that far after that. But yeah. anyway, it was a lot of fun, though, and I'm glad that we both got to do two of our faves. Yes, it was a lot of fun. So... We're not going to do toys because in the 90s, we didn't really have toys. 
What yes. we had was music. I shouldn't have had toys in the 90s. I dig music. Yes. Well, maybe we had some to- I mean, I was still like 11 in the 90s, so it's not like I didn't have toys. But we're talking about music right now. That's right. That's what we're doing. You know why? Why? Because we did Empire Records. So we're talking about some music right now. Synergy. I want to know if it was your day, if you got the right color M&M pulled, what song in 1995 are you going to go play? All right. Well, who's going first? Do you want me to go first? I'll you go first. Have, you have at it. All right. Let me just say, I looked at a long list of songs from 1995 and like every single one of them. I'm like, yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes. All of them right now. Same for 96. I chose songs from 95 and 96 because that's when these two movies came out. It was really hard. Yeah. But I settled in on Just a Girl by No Doubt. Ooh, that's a good one. I remember 95. that. I was playing a lot of ping pong to that song. <laughs> It was just, you know, our first taste of Gwen Stefani. Yeah. And a song about being a girl. And I don't know, it just when you're a young teenage girl, it's like, that's what you want to sing to. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a young teenage girl, <laughs> or I never was, but I love that song too. <laughs> it's for everyone. It was for everybody. But when I think of it, I just think of the video, her little white crop top and her hair and her blue pants. And it's just. Just rocking it. And the whole band. Anyway, it was just a really fun, formative song for me. All right. I loved belting it out. It's a great song. It still is. And recently, Gwen Stefani did like a photo shoot where she was recreating her looks, her early looks. And it was so fun. Plus, yeah. she like hasn't aged a bit. Yeah. She like seeing her amazing. on The Voice, right? Yeah. Yeah. She looks the same. It's crazy. She does. She's definitely a style icon. The 96... Again, if I could choose, I would I would be listing 25 songs right now. Yeah. Since I have to list one, it's going to be Always Be My Baby by Mariah Carey. Are you sure that's when that came out? Yeah, I know the song. I feel like it came out before then. I looked it up. That's crazy. The album album that it's on may have come out in 95, but the single came out in 96. Hold on. Let me double check. I feel like angsty me from 1994 was listening to that song for having my heart broken. Devastatingly. (laughs) Well, okay. To be fair, it says the album came out in 95. Okay. But I believe that the single was released in 96. Okay, that makes sense. But it could also be that I was looking at the charts. Yeah. And it could have still been charting in 96, but had been released earlier. So forgive me. No, listen, we'll allow it. I really, I was looking at like the top 100 or whatever for 96. Okay. Billboard. So. Those are two good songs. I like those. Yeah. Those remind me, like Always Be My Baby reminds me of riding around with my friends. Yeah. And it's just such a carefree, fun song. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I have emotions tied to that song, but I I can't recall them directly. Mm -hmm. As far as like, usually when I hear a song. From back then, it yeah. puts me in a place. Yeah. And this one, I, I can't recall the place of it, but I can remember that I can remember the feeling of listening to it, but I can't remember where I was. We had a night. It was, it's funny because this was actually the night before we got engaged. Yeah. In 2017. Yes. Cause we got married in 2018. Yeah. So we had a Mariah Carey Boys to Midnight. Yeah. Out, out in the kitchen. We were on the patio, I think. Oh, it was a patio party. Yeah, it was a okay. patio party. Oh, that's right. That was the boys to men. Mariah was on the patio. That's right. Yep. <laughs> and we just both were like, it was the most fun night. I don't know. Yeah. I think maybe at that point we hadn't done a lot of like just listening to our music from when we were, you know, right again, coming of age. Yeah. And so we were both just belting it out. And <laughs> I'm sure our neighbors loved us that night. <laughs> they love us all the time. Oh, yes. Oh, anyway. 
So yours, 95? 95. So this was really difficult for me too, but I have to go with what my favorite band is. Yeah. It's Alice in Chains. They released the Alice in Chains album that year. Uh Uh-huh. My favorite song on there is Heaven Beside You. So that's the one I went with. How does that go? Heaven Beside You. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I love that song. That album came out in 95. That's when I had the album. I don't know when it was released as a single. Yeah. But that specific song from that album I really love from 1995. That's my fave. All right. 96, my second favorite artist who is Tupac, uh, he released that double album, uh, All Eyes on Me. <laughs> yeah, so it's my. I think my favorite song on, on there is probably California Love, but I had like, it was difficult to look at the album and then be like, okay, what's my favorite song? And I'm like, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one. Right. So I'll just go with California Love because that's the most well-known one. And it's a like, great song. I feel like your party trick should be putting a Tupac song on and letting everybody see you rap every word to it because people would never expect that of you. No, they If wouldn't. they didn't know you in yeah. that time frame. I know, you know? Our, our buddy McNair was blown away once when I just crushed it on a Tupac song once. And he's just like, what? He's like, what? I thought you were an Alice in Chains dude. <laughs> like, I am. <laughs> I'm also a Tupac dude. Also a Tupac dude. Uh, I've got a question for you. What's that? It's a little 90s trivia. Okay. What was the federal minimum wage during the 90s on average? Oh. During most of the 90s. Can you think back to it? I worked during the 90s, so I would know this. <laughs> well, I'm going to base it on what minimum wage was in the early 2000s, and I'm going to go backwards and say five ninety five. It didn't change for a long time. I will, I will say that. Uh-huh. Um, because no. Okay. <laughs> you were... You're off by around, you're off by more than a dollar. Okay. Back in most of the 90s, it was $4.25. Oh my God. When I first started working at an actual job, my first job that I ever had, I got paid under the table $3 an hour. (laughs) And I I cleaned this lady's house for her. On Saturday mornings, I would work three hours and I would make $9. Wow. I eventually got a raise. I, I think when I stopped working that job, I was making $3.25 an hour. That's crazy. So I would almost make $10. A lot of the times they'd just be lazy mm-hmm. and they'd just give me $10. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I was making maybe six six fifty or six seventy-five uh, in like two thousand two. Okay. So that's why I was I was thinking maybe like I guess it would depend on that. when in the nineties it was, yeah. but now it's so crazy to think about. The first child star to ever make a million dollars for a film was Macaulay Culkin. Okay. What film was it that he made it on? <gasps> the Good Son. No. It's uh, two words. Hold on. Uncle Buck. No, that's two words. That's a good guess, but that's not it. Well, third, I, third guess, and then I'll tell you. It's not Home Alone. No. Hold on. I don't get another guess? No, you get one more guess. I don't know if I know any other movies that he was in. This is a very sweet movie um, with him and a an, uh, very young actress as well. <gasps> My girl. My girl. Uh, <laughs> oh, the first movie that I sobbed uncontrollably yes. over. That was after Home Alone, right? Uh, yes. It had to have yeah, been, that would have been after. He wouldn't Home have Alone. made a million dollars, right, right? Exactly. With his first movie, how much did he make for Home Alone? I don't know how much he made for Home Alone. That's a good question. What actor starred in two of the top ten highest-grossing films of the nineties? 
What act? You guys, he has sprung this trivia on me. Yeah, this, this, she's got no clue here. This This was not in our outline. This is not in the outline. (laughs) This is sprung. But I love it. Okay, wait. The what actor starred in the two in, in two of the top ten highest grossing films in the nineties of the nineties? Brad Pitt. No. How many guesses do I get? Three. You get three guesses, and then I'll tell you. Of the nineties, Bruce Willis. No, but hold off on your last guess, and I will give you a hint. Okay. A co-star of his in these movie or in in one of his movies, his co-star was Tommy Lee Jones. Will Smith. Will Smith. Hey. Men in Black and Independence Day. Nice. <laughs> Getting jiggy with it. All right, let's see. Na, 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 na. I love Will. Will never goes out of style. Will never goes out of style. Will's great. I want to cover Fresh Prince. Yeah, I want to do that too. I think, think we're going to do that soon. Yeah, let's see here. Okay, next question. Who sang Closing Time? Closing Time. And I asked this because I had this CD just for this song. And honestly, it's the only song I liked on the CD. <laughs> My mind has just gone blank right now. I know this. Partial audio (laughs) is my hint for you. Partial audio. Partial audio. That's my hint. It'll make sense. uh, It'll make sense when when I tell you what it is. I feel like I even like see the members of the group. I hear the entire song in my head. It's not. (sighs) Let's just skip that one. Semisonic. Partial audio. Uh, (laughs) In what year did Oasis release their second studio album, What's the Story, Morning Glory, or Morning Glory? What year? 97? Nope. One more guess. One more guess. 96 is not correct. 98. 95. Oh. Sorry. Now I'm dumb again. (laughs) Um, All right. Last question. This is a difficult one. Two bands had eight number one hits each in the 90s. One girl band. And one boy band. Name them both. Spice Girls. Correct. And is it like an actual boy band? I'll be honest with you. I don't remember this. Let me see. Like a pop boy band, like a like a Backstreet or an NC. Looks like a boy band. I don't remember them. Take that. Wow. Ha! Take that. Wow. Take that. <laughs> Way to go. Good Thank job. You. That's a great job. <laughs> that was that was more along my lines. <laughs> Not that I didn't love Oasis, but I'm like all that those high school years just blur together they just, for me. They all run together. I, I think I gave you every year of my high school except '95, which is the, another <laughs> year of my high school. All right, well that brings us to a close this week. Well, I feel like I should have had questions for you next. Listen, next shoot, time, yeah, next time because I want to get quizzed and fail because I will. That is not the way to look at it. <laughs> I'm always trying to teach him positivity. I'm going to crush it. Power of positivity. Power you of positivity. are going to crush it. Woo. <laughs> All right. You guys take care. Oh, before we go, a little reminder. You find us on Instagram at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod. Facebook group, We Don't Want to Grow Up Podcast! Exclamation point. You can email us at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod at Gmail. Send us your photos from your childhood or your teen years. We've had a lot of photo submissions lately, and I'm so excited about all of them. It's hard for me not to share them all at once because they are all so amazing. So thank you to everyone that's been sending them in. Send them all to me. We will share them all. We will will. take a little bit. Yeah, Yeah. we just got to spread it out a little bit. Spread it out. Yeah. But thank you. Thank you for listening and stick around. Yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.